Welcome to Light Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one best-selling book, Sensitivity is Your Superpower, How to Harness Your Gifts, Fulfill Your Purpose, and Create a Life of Joy. And I would love to gift you, if you are a highly sensitive soul like I am, my sense of soul empowerment guide, the three ways of navigating your way to more peace, positivity, and personal power. And I would also love for you to be in our community. So the great thing is that you can get that Sensitive Soul Guide at SensitiveSoulGuide.com. And then you'll be on my mailing list and be able to come into our free community called the Light Medicine Community where we can chat, have free monthly mini healings and all sorts of fun stuff. And uh, today on the radio show, I have a very special guest, Anthony Samaroff. He's actually a psychotherapist and an author from Glasgow, Scotland, uh, currently in Mexico. Um, he's writing a book on the pharmaceutical industry, and he's actually created a short ebook made up of excerpts of that particular project that he is giving to us, gifting to us, available free, uh, and it is at 7pharmamyths.com, 7, that is the number 7, and then pharmamyths, all one word, dot com. And today, we're going to talk about why are we spending so much money in healthcare, but it doesn't seem like people are getting better. Uh, and in fact, we seem to be getting fatter. We seem to be having more chronic disease and more cancer, despite the war on cancer. So, you know, what is that all about? Apparently, you know, uh, uh, medicine, if you will, is the third leading cause of death, which sounds ridiculous, right? You got, you got your heart disease, you got your cancer, then you got medicine. <laughs> well, as a medical doctor, I... I'm not very happy about that, um, that, that, uh, that my profession are involved in the third leading cause of death in the USA. So I'm super happy uh, to have Anthony here today talking about, like, you know, what is going on with, with all this? What are some of the myths and misconceptions that many of us hold about medicine, about pharmaceuticals, that actually not so true? Um, and then, like, how do we discern the science, quote-unquote science, we see online because there's so many different opinions, right? Like if you do a search, depending on what search engine, you know, you get different answers uh, littered with mainstream media. You're sh sharing with us what the science is, and then yet you're hearing from other people that that, that isn't the science. So that can be really stressful and confusing for people. So how do we kind of discern, you know, what, what may be more true than others? Uh, and then finally, of course, how we can start taking back our health. So without further ado, hello, Anthony. Thank you so much for being here. Dr. Karen, it's such an honor to be invited by you onto the show, and I'm thrilled to join you today. Thank you so uh, much. Oh, yes, yes, my pleasure. We're thrilled to have you. And, um, you know, the book that you are writing, which, of course, you're giving us an excerpt, so thank you so much for that, sounds kind of spicy. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I think you're kind of courageous writing that book. So we're going to make sure all of our light warriors send you lots of love and protection, right? We're just going to like put you in a nice little bubble <laughs> of love right. so this information can, can get out there. So tell us about yourself. How did you get involved in all this? Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm a psychotherapist, a counselor, and I was working online predominantly before the whole COVID thing. So it wasn't really much of a difference to go from like 80% online to 100% online. Um, uh, and I, I guess I've been interested in 
alternative health, starting with my own personal health. Um, from a reasonably young age, I went to, through a lot of alternative therapies when I was in my 20s to varying degrees. And I did actually reverse conditions that the doctors couldn't do anything for, uh, for or at least when they gave me mainstream treatments, the symptoms came back after a while. But I managed to reverse some conditions uh, that haven't come back at all using non-mainstream approaches. And a couple of things that the mainstream doctors told me um, kind of put a light on for me. I mean, at one point, one of the doctors wanted to prescribe some antidepressants. I, I simply said, um, okay, well, I just have to maybe do some, you tell me what you want to put me on and I'll, I'll do some research at home and then decide if I, um, and then uh, decide, and, and he said, okay then, doctor, which oh, I remember Yes, being, I've heard that, I know, it's so condescending, mm, I apologize, so condescending. Half of my profession. <laughs> it's okay, it wasn't you who did it, so that made me think, well, I was surprised, I thought he'd be happy that I was taking an act of interest, but I've, I've since been told that they, they don't like to do that, then, um, mm -hmm. I went to an alternative pr practitioner who basically said a whole bunch of different symptoms which I thought were related, were unrelated, were all my digestion. So he um, helped, he gave me some treatment some for that and this was actually someone who had done a PhD in the medical sciences before going down the alternative route. So he had knowledge in both worlds or at least more than one world. And that worked for a while, and I saw that that was kind of like more of a systemic approach and made me think that um, he knew more, like like he, he thought of things systemically rather than just on the level of the symptoms and said, you know, right, um, if we right. look at the fundamental systems, which now I know to be things like the digestion, the liver, um, you know, the, the detoxification organs and whatnot. So that gave me a little bit of insight as well. Fast forward a little while and I, I became um, a well, well known in the libertarian community for writing about economics. When I was in college I used to love, um, um, love theatre and I'd review plays and musicals, operas, theatre productions, dance, all this stuff. Uh, <clears throat> I got cut my teeth as a writer doing that and it gave me an accessible style because when you write a review you always have to have an angle, right? Mm -hmm. So let's just say that um, the economics profession is not uh, known for their punchy, accessible style. So when I started writing about economics, people really liked my um, articles because I wrote them like I was writing a theatre review. And I wrote a book and I, I kind of became known in that community. And I'd been writing a little bit in healthcare, but most of it had not come to the surface. So um, it wasn't doing that much in my hard drive. Uh, during the course of the whole COVID debacle, it became clear to me that there was no thing that I could do that was more useful than start writing this book on the pharmaceutical industry because I had the ability to come at it from several angles, like kind of like the economic angle, the alternative health angle from my own experience and things I'd learned writing, um, writing and that, and I just, I just ever since I've started I just feel like I know what I'm doing you know I wake up in the morning with a sense of purpose and I feel like mm. my my my, per, my particular combination of skills are apt for this so um yeah and you know little bits and pieces surface and articles if you if you download the ebook 7pharmamyths.com 
then you'll get on my mailing list and um, the breadcrumbs will lead to where you can read more of my more of my articles as they as they come out. Mm, that's fantastic. Well, well, thank you so much for for doing the research and for writing this. It's certainly, you know, I, I talk about health and wellness all the time, and um, I don't really talk too much about uh, the pharmaceutical stuff. Uh, first of all, mm. I couldn't be bothered to. I just know that you know. There's, I mean, there's certain things that you know Western medicine is good for. Uh, mm -hmm. Chop off your leg. I, I'm not going to do homeopathy, right? I'm just going to go to the ER and get it. You know, it's sewed back on. Uh, but for chronic disease, for the things that we spend uh, trillions of dollars a year, you know, a year on, on the you know, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, um, you know, autoimmune, like all these things, we're really not getting any healthier. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad that there's at least someone who is willing, you know, to do the research and uh, to be able to speak to these things. Um, and so that's great. Thank you. Yeah, that's an interesting thing doing the research because I'd come across something on page 157 of a book uh, that was utterly shocking, and I'd be like, "Wait, what?" And and then I just basically took all those most shocking things and put them in the first chapter of my book, and um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> kind of like shake people awake a little bit. And I thought, <laughs> um, you know, you know, it would be it would be Buried on page 238 that in 1999, the Center for Disease, for Disease Control and Prevention told us that while the average lifespan of people in the USA have lengthened by 30 years since 1900, 25 years of this gain are attributable to advances in public health rather than medicine. Now, everyone thinks, not everyone, but most people think we're living longer due to medicine. And because of that, they can sell new pharmaceutical drugs. They're riding on a myth. Um, mm -hmm. In 2000, Pediatrics released a very comprehensive study in which they explained the 90% decline in infectious diseases not attributable to antibiotics, as most people think, but improvements in sanitary conditions and nutrition rather than medical treatments, um, mostly um, the access to cleaner water. So yeah. if you don't actually know the truth, it will lead you to make poor decisions when it comes to health. And it will also lead the government to implementing poor policy decisions. Um, some of the stuff I cover in my ebook and my book, um, my forthcoming book, there's going to be an intermediate step where I I release a expanded version of the ebook on paperback. Um, but um, I talk about, for example, there's been instances where the government has massively increased healthcare spending uh, with no tangible benefits to the populations that were targeted by it. But, um, you know, there was a time where what we, New, New Jersey was a swamp. And every summer, um, mosquitoes would come over into New York and bite people, infecting them with malaria and other diseases, but just not rich people, because in the summer they'd just go somewhere cooler, right? And now, here we are in the, in the 2020s, and being poor is still hazardous to your health. People on low incomes get um, all sorts of 
diseases, they're more likely to die from chronic illnesses than people who are more affluent. So instead of uh, what what they did in New York to stop everyone from getting malaria wasn't put people on a bunch of pharmaceutical medications or increase healthcare spending. What they did was they drained the swamp, literally. They improved the conditions in New Jersey and then it wasn't a swamp and mosquitoes weren't flying over infecting people with malaria anymore. Similarly, when people don't actually understand that it's public health, access to better nutrition, water, refrigeration, clean sewers, not living in houses with mold and rising damp or living eight to one room as used to be the case in, in our history, that people's health improve, you, you, you make the wrong policy decisions, you spend money in the wrong places instead of saying, well, what would give us the maximum bang for our buck? How could we spend that money in such a way that would reduce the amount of disease? We um, run around chasing our tail trying to treat preventable illnesses. In fact, according to official sources, something like 70% of the diseases that people are afflicted with are due to lifestyle, lifestyle decisions. So you have these two things, public health and poor lifestyles, leading to ever-increasing healthcare costs. And that's what we're facing at the moment. And when people, you know, they say the truth will uh, set you free, but first it will miff you. <laughs> to put it nicely, <laughs> you know, people should learn about these facts and then um, it will set us free because, you know, we're spending for the, the healthcare spending in the US approaches $4 trillion. Mm. Singapore has a similar um, economy to the USA and they spend a quarter per head on what the USA does in healthcare and they live six years longer and they're much, much healthier. They have a much better healthcare system, which was largely conceived of by American economists trying to fix America's healthcare system. If oh, we that's own, interesting. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah that, that kind of stuff comes in. And, and so if, we, we, if America could save even half on healthcare, never mind three quarters, that would be enough to keep both conservatives and liberals happy because you could use the money to balance the budget, to give people a tax cut, and you'd still have enough money left over to pay for social security out of the savings. So this really is a case where the truth would set us free. Mm. And uh, with that... Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem that there is uh, accountability, and at least it looks like, you know, that... Um, there's a money trail, you know, when, when they talk about, uh, you know, following the science, um, it's actually been really interesting <laughs> over the last few years because people are coining that term, follow the science, follow the science, and then if we question the science, um, you know, sometimes those of us that are questioning the science that is presented, um, especially when it doesn't make any sense or it's irrelevant to the mm. question, uh, then we're told we are being like, you know, Luddites and not scientific and things like that. So can you comment a little bit about, you know, this whole science thing? Well, it's interesting um, that people say to trust the mm. science because, you know, the editors of top journals say that you can't trust the science and maybe I can um, just come to that um, come to some quotes for you in a second um, on that point so um, 
The editors of the New England Journal of Medicine and the Lancet both resigned in disgust, claiming that at least 70% of the articles in their journal were trash and biased towards the corporate healthcare industry bodies that funded their research. Richard Horton of the Lancet wrote, Journals have developed into information laundering operations for the pharmaceutical industry. Richard Smith, who was the editor of the British Medical Journal for 25 years, said, Major medical journals are just an extension of the marketing departments of major drug companies. Dr. Marcia Engel, an Angel, editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, got into a lot of trouble with her colleagues when she said, it's simply no longer possible to believe much of the clinical research that is published or to rely on the judgment of trusted physicians or authoritative medical guidelines. I take no pleasure in this conclusion, which I reached slowly and reluctantly over my two decades as an editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. And if you if you um, dig around, you'll find more stuff like this. Catherine DeAngelis, um, editor of chief of the Journal of the Medical American Medical Association, said. Don't believe anything, not one thing, put out by a pharmaceutical company. Just don't believe it. Drummond Rennie, the deputy editor, wrote, There seems to be no study too fragmented, no hypothesis too trivial, no literature citation too biased or too egotistical, no design too warped, no mythology too bungled, no presentation of results too inaccurate, too obscure, and too contradictory, no analysis too self-serving, no argument too circular, no conclusions too trifling or too unjustified, and no grammar and syntax too offensive for a paper to end up in print. Mm. And I've got a whole bunch of quotes from the, or like these from leading authorities. So they're telling us that you can't trust what's in the mainstream medical journals. But what I would always like to get at is why. Why, why are things like this mm -hmm. uh, because I can tell you Dr. Karen so many pharma scandals that I've come across scandal after scandal but the conclusion that people want to reach is well I'm sure this is the kind of thing that slips through the crack from time to time whereas what mm. I would like to say is that the problem is system systematic and these are the results that the system is bound to arrive at for particular reasons and if I, if I could illustrate would you like to come in first yeah just just for a sec here I want to interject uh, uh, around what what you just said um, well a couple of things number one is uh, we did see you know some articles come out in very so-called prestigious journals right New England mm -hmm. Lancet um, BMJ, like, and uh, that that really were so-called, you know, debunking some of the the strategies that some of the holistic doctors or some of the doctors were speaking out, you know, in terms of you know um, whether that be hydroxychloroquine or masking or whatever. Um, these different journals. Um, you know, we're we're create almost like creating out of thin air. <laughs> Sometimes that was true, right? right? Some right. data that made it sound like whatever. You know, wow. You know, my you know, I had a friend, and this was before. I mean, I don't really you know watch the news. So, I had a friend. I said something about ivermectin. Not that I I, I prefer natural. You know, 
non-pharmaceuticals. Yeah. But anyway, um, I said something about ivermectin. And uh, he says to me, you mean the horse paste? And I'm right. like, what? I'm like, I'm a medical doctor. I've prescribed it before. Like, right. <laughs> like what's he talking about, right? And I didn't yeah, realize right. that it was this whole, like, media campaign against Joe Rogan, you know, in the U.S. And, right. Uh, about him, him getting better with it, and it, and so everyone started calling it horse paste. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is nuts. This is crazy. Yeah. And then you know, um, just things being pulled on, so they're they're published in the prestigious journal. Then maybe there's some ethical, <laughs> uh, you know, scientists there to go, well, show show us your raw data, and they can't. Right. No, so they then can't. they pull it, but they don't publicize that they pull it. Right, so then everyone's already believed it because it splashed right. all over the media. Right, and they the, say that the, the, the a lie travels halfway across the world before the truth has time to pull its pants up. Mm. So, what they can do is they can use the media to insert memes, um, and people just uh, repeat them on. Critically, uh, you know, obviously Donald Trump was a master of this, creating um, names for people and things like that, and then people would just go along. Um, uh, and uh, but but it's not a new tactic, you know. You can you can mm-hmm. create something that's an earworm, and then and then people will um, repeat it. So uh, once you've got it in your head that ivermectin is horse-based, it doesn't matter that previously there was a whole bunch of studies advocating it for this, that and the other and people were using it for various things. Um, you know, as or, an or hydroxychloroquine, right? That that in the study they use like multiple times the safe dose known. <laughs> that right. we I mean I like I said I I prefer to not have to use pharmaceuticals. Uh but yeah, um, you know, why why in the study, right, unless you meant to do it that way, uh would you give much talk would you give toxic doses? of a pharmaceutical that is not required to be in toxic doses to show that there's an effect, in this case on COVID. Right. And then show, oh my gosh, there's heart irregularities. Right. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, uh, speaking of heart um, irregularities, the less said the better. I mean, my my own mother got uh, arterial fibrillations from her second COVID shot. And she has to live with that now. No one compensated her, not, neither the government nor the manufacturer. Well, they said she can't prove it, right? Government. Oh, she's old. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, uh, they admitted they admitted that it was the vaccine that caused the injury. Oh, really? Okay. Said, well, yeah, not in Canada. Yeah. Right. Well, she wasn't she wasn't compensated for it, of course. Wow. Wow. So, well, and, and and that's really difficult to get compensation for something like that. Mm-hmm. My mom ended up with her. Uh, after her second shot, and she, the funny thing is, in her first shot, uh, mm-hmm. she, for whatever reason, felt a, a, a um, you know, a, um, a love for Pfizer. So anyway, so she got her first shot, uh, but she had said to me before the first shot, she says, I think this shot's going to kill me. I said, well, then don't mm. take it. I right. said, why do you think you 
think it's going to kill you. Well, because I have so many allergies and you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, that's true. You, you know, you would be high risk for autoimmune and because you're already allergic to, so, or you were allergic to so many things. I'm thinking of the peg, you know, in the shot and, and um, what could happen. Um, but she was asymptomatic after the first shot. Now, mind you, did I do mm. some work on her? Yes, I did. <laughs> okay, energetic. Uh, but the second one, I actually didn't really know about. Like, I didn't really get a heads up on that because I don't think they, they knew what I thought about it, so they didn't tell me. And right. uh, I didn't get a wind of it till much later. And then she calls me in the middle of the night, which I did not pick up till the next day. She's in the hospital. Um, she needs a pacemaker. Now previously she'd always said, "Oh, I'm you know, anxious, and I think my heart, my heart, my heart." But every time they tested her, she was completely fine. So the woman's got mm-hmm. so many EKGs, and and they couldn't find anything wrong with her. But this time it was real, right? Um, heart rate of 30 is not good, and mm-hmm. I'm you know from afar just going, "Hey, do you have your lifeway patches? I'll tell you where to patch your acupuncture points." You know, and she's mm-hmm. like, "No, I didn't think of bringing them," and you know, Dad's not allowed to come to the hospital anymore, and all that kind of stuff. So she was alone doing that thing. And she said to me, I think it's the, I think it's the, uh, the shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I said, well, I said, you're safe. You're getting a pacemaker at this point. Seriously, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what she did. So now she has to live with that. Right. And, you know, that's the consequences of people's actions. I wouldn't mind so much if we weren't forced to pay for it at gunpoint through the tax system. I mean, if people want to take these treatments, they should pay for them out of their own pocket. And they might think twice. I um, work with or learn from mainstream doctors who are in the in the system, and, and so that I can you, they help me get the language, you know, the the language right, and mm-hmm. they tell me about stuff that's going on. And I've got one friend. He for purely epidemic. Epidemiological? I know. Epidemiological. Yeah, he was skeptical about the jab from the beginning because he just looked at what they were saying and went, um, yeah, maybe they should just like uh, safety test these for longer and ca- gather their data properly because this doesn't. this is not the way I was trained that medical science should be done. Told his right. old family that they shouldn't get the shot, of course, almost everyone did get at least one and two, and they got injured left and right for it, as cousins mm-hmm. are like, what can we do? He's like, I don't know, there's nothing you can do, I told you not to get it. You know, one of his mm-hmm. friends had a seizure, first shot, went mm-hmm. back and guess what, went back for another one, and she got a seizure again, you know, sometimes you just can't tell people anything, and then he's getting a slew of patients coming in with the right regularities in their menstrual cycle, Mm-hmm. And of course, the other doctors say, oh, it's definitely not the vaccine. It's definitely not the vaccine. How do they know that it's not the vaccine? I mean, imagine being so ignorant as to say something as a doctor, as a, as a, someone that people consider to be an authority, just not based on any science, just because it's what you personally prefer to believe. Right. It's called BS, belief system. Yeah. As uh, oh, Dr. Bruce Lipton would say, he's like, it's right. a BS, belief system. <laughs> right, right. That's what you prefer to believe, and that's what it's nice and safe for you to believe. But, there, but, it, but it's definitely not science. Mm-mm. Yeah, well, I, I actually, uh, Anthony, I had, a, had a, a nurse practitioner friend of mine, she's now retired, but, you know, I, I said, hey, you know, uh, the Canadian COVID Care Alliance um, made this really nice video just kind of breaking down, you know, the, the studies and stuff, the Pfizer study and things like that. I think it's, you know, 
a good watch to do, and I'm quite concerned. But I, I kind of tried to use my words wisely, so I'm very concerned, you know, about this and uh, the data, um, and uh, especially with children, blah blah blah. Anyway, so she wrote back. She goes, "Don't ever email me again about this. I work for a very high-profile immunologist here, and I cannot believe." Like, what happened to that very smart medical doctor I knew years ago who worked for UCLA? And, like, have you lost your marbles? And I was like, wow. what? There's an open <laughs> mind for you. And I was like, I mean, she's, I mean, I can email her about everything else but that, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, the, the, the brainwashing is like so in depth. And here's the thing, Anthony, now you're probably not privy to this, but I get emails from New York State Office of the Professions. They email hospitals, doctors, nurses, you know, that it's part of the thing. It's annoying, actually, because I, I, there's no opt-out button. So I have right. to get these emails, even though I'm retired. So I have to get these emails about, you know, influenza surveillance report and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, at least they're still doing that. Um, and I normally ignore these, but I, I did open a couple of them during the, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, um, the height of the pandemic. And it literally had like web, you know, special webinar with doctors about you know how to handle, you know, the pandemic and blah blah blah. And some of the stuff that they were you know just summarizing on the advertisement, I was like, oh, I can see why doctors, you know, like like literally it said Anthony evidence based blah blah blah, right? So doctors don't have time to go through the raw data. We just don't. Right. So we rely right. on our state, you know, the state, we rely on our American, you know, family medicine association, whatever, right? Like whatever country we're in to kind of summarize it for us. So whatever they say, we're like, well, they must have done the, the work, right? They must have done mm -hmm. due diligence instead of us doing it because we don't have time mm -hmm. to do it. Um, mm. and, and I can totally see why my, my colleagues, you know, felt the way they did because they're like... <laughs> I was on this webinar last week, right, about mm. COVID, and like, and they were fed whatever they were fed, and it right. sounded convincing, you know. Right. Then when we go down that rabbit hole, like you and I have, mm. and you start going, well, wait, 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 wait a second, immunology, okay, so wait, wait, wait a second, there was never a placebo in any vaccine trial, really, ever. Right. Yeah. People don't believe like that. Not, like, there's nothing like vaccine versus saline. Right. No. <gasps> no. And no. I just went, I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. And they, don't, they, they managed to keep this a secret even from doctors. Here's the thing when it comes to vaccine hesitancy. The CDC could really put everyone's mind to rest very, very easily. There's approximately 800,000 Americans that have never had a single shot. Now, what they could do is they could just do a big study where they take a 10, 25, 50,000, 100,000 of these 800,000 people at random and just chart what chronic illnesses they have and then compare them to vaccinated populations. And, you know, if what we're told about vaccines is true, these 800,000 people should be um, swamps of disease, right? Um, they should have all sorts of communicable diseases and complaints that vaccinated populations don't have. Um, it would be very easy to do the study and you could say once and for all, look how unhealthy these 800,000 people who have never been vaccinated are. Uh, I think that the CDC uh, will never do the study. In fact, um, Tony Fauci told 
uh, Dale Bigtree, who made the uh, Vax documentary. We are never going to do that study. Congress has ordered the CDC to do the study, and the CDC had never done a study. Wow, they ordered to them. them. I did not know they, they ordered, them ordered them to do it in the 80s. Um, mm. and, and, and a bill's come before Congress to order them to do it several more times since then, but it usually gets shot down before even going to a vote. So they've never done the study. It would be an easy study to do. Um, and uh, alas, when people have done the study, one person, um, Anthony Mawson, there's an Anthony Mawson study, and another one, um, Paul Thomas and James Lyons-Wheeler, in recent years have done such studies. And you would believe that the more, it seems, the more vaccines you have, the more prone you are to develop chronic diseases um, and a whole host of other health complaints. Now, it could be that those studies were poorly conducted. Uh, I, um, who am I to say? What I would say is, if that is the case, then I would like to challenge the CDC to, to do a better design study and, let, and let's see who, what are the long-term health, health outcomes of vaccinated and unvaccinated populations. Um, you know, put our minds to rest, show all those crazy anti-vaxxers that um, they're barking <laughs> up the wrong tree. It would be right. easy enough to do. Yeah, you're tr that's true. That would be a relatively easy study compared to everything else. And speaking of studies, um, you know, I was, I was asking um, you know, some of my uh, doctor friends who's willing to tell me, um, you know, what was the follow-up? You know, because I said, well, you guys are enrolled in a humongous experiment. So mm -hmm. what kind of follow-up is that? Because when I did a very small study here in town, we had to get an IRB, and then it was very strict, like, you know, following up. And then if somebody, you know, we couldn't contact them, we had to prove that we tried to contact them multiple times to find out what went on, did they have side effects, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? And I'm like, wow, this is a huge study. And so in mm -hmm. this Canadian um, um, COVID Care Alliance video, they talked about how after a very short period of time, they decided to give the placebo people the real thing. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait yeah, a second. You can't do that. Yeah. You can't yeah. do that in, first of all, there's the risks, right? But it's like, it's a placebo-controlled trial. So if there's no right. placebo, you won't be able to actually compare. And you only, what was it, two months or something? I mean, course. yeah. I, I, and then I, I talked to some of my friends, you know, that did get it. And, and, you know, some said, yeah, yeah, they followed up. There's an app, you know, and then you fill out the app, right? And then other people complain. I'm like, well, whatever symptom they said was on there, like headaches or arm, whatever. Yeah, but that wasn't my symptom. Right. So if I had like anaphylaxis or I was near death or if, if you know, I had, uh, you know, autoimmune, that, that wasn't listed. So I, I couldn't even put it down. There was no place mm -hmm. to put it down even if they did follow up. Right. And there's so many um, reasons why the under-reporting of injuries from this vaccine is so profound. One is the first thing that doctors will do is deny that it was the vaccine that caused the injury. Most mainstream doctors will then the, the, the whole process of reporting is hard and unreliable. And um, people themselves, I, I know people. My, I was uh, when I was back in Scotland, I was living with someone who went into a seizure from um, taking one of her COVID shots, and she neither her nor her doctor um, reported that as a vaccine injury, and this was prevalent. Even though when I was in school, 
I was tested for a shot and came up with allergic reactions, so they didn't get it. They didn't give it to me. Um, I was out in Mexico, and my my mother was on the phone trying to uh, find out how I could get an exemption, and no one knew. No one knew. Event. She had to speak to so many people, and eventually she spoke to someone who said, "Oh well, you can't really get an exemption unless you've had a reaction to this shot." And it's like, it's a little bit late by that point. <laughs> don't you think? Well, yeah, like you know, and and here in you know religious exemptions has been interesting because you know people are like, well, you know that the, the, there's some of the cell lines they use, you know, are aborted fetal cells and yada yada, right? So I'm Christian or I'm this or that, and and we don't want that. Uh, but there's there's more Christian, you know, I hate to say it, but there's just more religious Christian people who either don't know or don't care, right? They're so scared, right? That and and then of course the 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 Pope or not the Pope, but you know the bishops or whatever are like, it's okay. It's okay for the highest good, you know. It's okay. There's aborted fetal cells, but it's okay, you know. God says it's okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, well, Anthony. Um, before we get to doing some more, uh, you know, myths and misconceptions, and you know how to discern mm-hmm. the science we see it online and taking back our health, I wanted to share with you an email that I got on the 24th of February, and we are recording this on the 26th. So that was two days ago. Okay, this is from New York State, and this is from um, those that, you know, uh, you know, give us those surveillance reports and everything like that. It says, and I quote, effective January 1st, 2023, the New York State Department of Health implemented a revised surveillance case definition for multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, so MISC, associated with coronavirus disease 2019 infection or vaccination. Mm. I went, What? Suspected and confirmed cases of MISC in persons less than 21 years of age potentially associated with COVID-19 infection or COVID-19 vaccination Mm. are required to be reported. And when I'm looking at the PDF, it says reporting. Okay, hospitals are required to report suspected confirmed cases of MISC potentially associated with SARS-CoV-2 infection or COVID-19 vaccination, those under 21 years of age, to the New York State Department of Health. Cases of MISC are reported using the Health Electronic Response Data System, HERDS, application. And it says these cases need to be reported to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS, in accordance with federal requirement. I just about Mm. fell over in my chair. This is mainstream Mm. medicine telling their doctors and nurses and hospitals they need to report this. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it certainly shows that something new is coming in. Mm-hmm. Like an acknowledgement of potentially there's a thing? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that was shocking. I, I was not expecting that from mainstream at all. Yes, and I, I, as I say, like I've got some doctors who are in the mainstream position, and um, one of my friends... Uh, in Delaware has spoken to me about like certain shifts even her, herself she told so you know she looked crazy telling her staff some of these things early on and um, she said um, one, uh, everyone thought she was crazy because she's actually everyone in her practice knows she herself was vaccine injured one of her um, nurses came in and said oh I got the flu and blah blah and she said did you know that paper came out 
earlier on that said getting the flu shot predisposed you to getting COVID. I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't like to quote these things when I can't tell you the paper, but just for the sake of brevity. And her um, nurse was like, you know, Dr. Mabrakakis, are you kidding? And she was like, no. And uh, no, don't you believe me? And she's like, no. <laughs> like, even in her own practice, she'd seen this shift in mentality and where, where it was really dangerous for her to report things at first. She's noticed that there has been a little bit of a shift where she could actually report vaccine okay. injuries. Okay, um, and, and not be so fired? Uh, or not, taking her life I mean, she, she is definitely taking her, you know, she is definitely taking her. I wouldn't say her name, but she told me that um, she's out now and she's done some podcasts and things like that. So she's definitely put herself, put her head above the parapet. Um, mm. um, so more power to her. Um, yeah, especially if you're practicing now, like in in, in the regular system, that, that is very difficult. Uh, it's interesting because uh, when I tuned into, you know, my guide, if you will, or guidance, uh, that um, uh, when when would be a good time to go all online? And because uh, I only had 20 patients anyway, you know, uh, but I was spending a lot of time with them and I love them and I, I didn't, you know, I was spending a lot of money just keeping an office going just for those 20 patients. And uh, so Sora said to close shop May of 2019. And I had actually told them, you know, year and a half, two years, I'll be, you know, I'll be done. Well, year and a half was May. Two years was November, and I thought, well, you know, I should maybe I'll just do November because they were so upset at the possibility of not mm -hmm. being able to see me, right? And then I got a hint from the universe. I won't go into that story. May it is, <laughs> May it is. So I closed up shop in May. Now I had no idea this was coming down, and now I know why I got that guidance. Mm -hmm. You know, to close up shop in May because that would, I mean, so I could do. Honestly, so I could do my mission, you know, because otherwise it would have been a pain in the butt to, to, to try to juggle all of that and, and the pandemic and everything like that. So I'm very fortunate that I followed that guy. <laughs> yes. So um, you mentioned something really important, which is um, evidence-based medicine. Hmm. And whenever you hear, you at home hear, I'm just going to give you, this, this, this is good. You can spread this around, Okay. Whenever you hear evidence-based medicine, what you should really hear is authority-based medicine. And I'm going to explain why. Mm. In the old days, when uh, doctors were trained with the biomedical model, which is interesting because I actually disagree with the biomedical model. Um, uh, however, um, what they were trained to do was, to some degree, be scientists, you know, read studies, and rely on their wits to, um, to come to conclusions on what treatments to perform. As you moved to the evidence-based model, the idea is you do what the evidence says, and that means basically what the authorities tell you the evidence um, says. Mm. So you have something like the American Diabetes Association making recommendations on insulin, and treatments for diabetes, or something like the um, American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association making recommendations on what to do, how many, who to, who to give statins to, for example, or the American Cancer Association, um, and all, all of these uh, bodies form uh, one point where the drug companies in that industry 
can basically bribe and colonize. They fill the boards of these organizations with former employees or scientists who are open to being influenced or to accepting funds, you know, well, oh, don't worry, you know, we're going to take your, you and the wife away for a long weekend and we're going to put on a continuing medical education conference and tell you. And then what happens is the guidelines for the number of people who should be taking statins goes down ever so slightly and more people are on statins. Then maybe if you're 60 or over, you should take statins. No, let's make it 58. No, let's make it 57. Okay, and you've got just you know, slightly high cholesterol, maybe you should be in a statin as well. And they use these bodies who are meant to be providing people with, um, providing doctors with authoritative, objective, evidence-based guidelines on what to prescribe for what. And that soon becomes the standard of care. And now, as a doctor, you can be fired for not, for not, giving a statin to a 57-year-old, even though there's no real evidence that statins are actually effective for primary prevention of a heart attack. There is some evidence that for some people, mostly males, if you've had a heart attack already, then taking a statin may help prevent you from having a second one. But there's very little evidence to suggest that Prime, that statins are good for primary prevention of a heart attack or will increase or decrease your overall mortality. In other words, even if you don't die of a heart attack or a stroke, you might just die of cancer instead or you might die of something else at just about the same age as you would have had you not taken the statin, plus now you've got all of the negative side effects and the lowering of the quality of life that you have to admit for being on that drug and what they call preventative medicine. So uh, evidence-based medicine sounds like a good idea if I was going to put a chemical into my body that was going to have a profound effect on my biochemistry, I definitely want to know that it was based on some good solid scientific evidence. Unfortunately, that's simply not the case under the current base system because evidence-based medicine is just what these authorities cherry-pick as the studies that they choose to rely on, most of which, in fact, probably all of which, are conducted by drug companies because the FDA doesn't conduct a single study. Drug companies submit their studies to the FDA. They could run 10 studies, for all you know, and bury eight of them and just cherry-pick the two with the most favorable results. The regulator doesn't have to show the data to the public. Not only that, but the drug company doesn't have to show all the data to the regulator. The journals, <laughs> right. the journals could insist that drug companies submitted all of the raw data to them before publishing their studies, but they don't. And one of the reasons journals, first of all, they sell advertising space to drug, drug companies, and secondly, they can sell reprints of articles that are favorable to oh, right. companies. They can sell... An, they an, get a, a kickback, kind of. Yeah. 
a reprint order. Study, yeah, looks uh, good. We'll buy some more from yeah. you. Reprints, give to our doctors. That's right. So the so the so the 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 drug company buys tens of thousands of copies of journal articles, and then they post them out to doctors to propagandize those doctors into prescribing those drugs. So they're all on one side, and it's not yours. Okay, okay. Now, we talked about, you know, evidence-based medicine may not be really evidence-based, maybe more authoritarian-based. What mm -hmm. about uh, when I was in school, uh, they created something called the Cochrane Database. Mm -hmm. So they're supposed to take all the data, tell us what's, they throw out studies that are bad, you know, that are really poorly done, they mm -hmm. keep the ones that are really good, then they kind of do an overall conclusion, and they're called meta-analyses. Uh, right. For those of you that, that uh, listening that aren't familiar with this. So are they bought and paid for as well? Well, or you know, Cochrane, the Cochrane collaboration is about the best we've got, although one of their um, great researchers, uh, Peter Goschke, I can't, don't know how to pronounce his name, who wrote some very amazing books on exposing fraud in the psychiatric industry, was actually mm -hmm. thrown out for being too radical, even though I think he... Um, his claims were based on very good reading of the evidence. But yeah, the Cochrane Collaboration do really good meta-analyses. Um, there's other organizations that attempt to do this, and um, they're, I think they're the most prominent. Even so, there is a massive problem with simply not registering studies uh, that are not favorable. And, um, ah, to, they can't to, appear in them? Oh, they can't so, appear so, in a journal, so or they can't no, appear in if, if PubMed. If no one, if no one knows that the study even was conducted, no one can can, can include it into a meta-analysis. Oh. However, meta-analyses are the best we have, and they are expensive to do. And not everything that works in healthcare really um, can very easily conform to like a double-blind study. I mean, right. things, but you, you know, you. Because the, these studies are very much about how certain chemicals affect certain pathways, even in nutritional science, how this nutrient works on this. And we know from nutritional science that actually um, nutrients work in concert together. And in whole foods, um, mm -hmm. nature's not stupid. They, uh, it packages different um, chemicals together. So it's, it's very hard to do this reductionist science. Um, mm -hmm. For everything that might be that might be helpful for us, um, certainly when it comes to repressing symptoms, if that's what you want, if you want symptom control, the kind of um, scientific method that we understand can work pretty well for that. As long as we're actually getting all the data, there's a book um, called Bad Pharma. I think his name's Ben Goldacre. He has maybe a hundred pages dedicated to explaining all the ways where our actual data is missing. And until the authorities decide that every single paper, every single study that is conducted needs to be registered and logged in a database, a lot of the time what they'll do is they'll just stop studies early if there's too many side effects or if the drug isn't looking effective enough, they just stop the study early and then they go, well, you know, that study's not really very good data because it was, you know, it was stopped early. But it stopped early, you know, it, they've got motivations for stopping early. 
Right. Like, yeah. is that is that like like for example, remdesivir, or as some of the uh, Canadian frontline nurses call run death is near. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. I've heard bad things about remdesivir. I can't really tell you the specific details of that particular pharma scandal, but um, it's definitely it looks like it's a dangerous drug, and. To, to be honest, most drugs are dangerous. I wouldn't take them unless you absolutely had to. Uh, a lot of the times they will say that this or that drug lowers your chance of dying from a particular condition. But unless they tell you that all-cause mortality was reduced, it probably wasn't because they're always going to um, frame the data in the most beneficial light for themselves. Mm. Well, I believe that uh, that some you know happened with uh, some of the studies that was commissioned to track autism um, and mm. related to vaccines. And of course, the conclusions mm. always you know no, it's nothing to do with it. Like it's if you just look at the summary articles, they're like, oh yeah, it's it's fine, right? Uh, but then if you actually interviewed the parents, they're like, uh, mm. my child was fine, and then you know this thing happened. Um, and yes. then one of the movies, uh, I think it's called For yeah. the Greater Good. You know, talks about how mm -hmm. the, there was a whistleblower, you know, um, that, right. that basically said that they had to keep redoing the the, the data, the charts. They mm -hmm. they they changed the parameters so much so that it didn't look like there was a trend between you know black babies, you know African American mm -hmm. babies, and Caucasian yeah. white and babies. I think and they say there's no um, there's no evidence. But um, one of the th let me see if I can find this. I, I did actually come across a site that um, catalogued about 30-something 30, 30 studies that did link vaccines to autism. You see, one of the things that happens is it's if you if you sue um, a company, a drug company, um, or the drugs industry. Uh, here we go. Sorry. This happens with um, breast implants. Thir health Impact News, 30, si 30 scientific studies showing the link between vaccines and autism uh, by Lisa Joyce Goes, if anyone wants to look it up. So what happens with breast implants is there was a lawyer tried to um, bring forth a class action lawsuit and was advised that there wasn't enough evidence to justify studying, uh, sorry, suing the industry for just general damage from implants that hadn't leaked. Uh, but he wanted to go ahead, and as a consequence of that, he actually lost the case. So it was about like 10, 20 years before they could, the, the industry could be sued again for that reason. Um, and in the meantime, the only way that anyone could, a woman could claim compensation is if she could argue that her implant had leaked. If it hadn't leaked, the court would have to conclude that it wasn't because of the implant that she received whatever damage. Now, um, something similar happens with vaccines and autism, where someone was told that you know, don't don't do it, don't do it, just hold on tight because we're still gathering the evidence. And you're going to screw it up again. You're going to screw it up for everyone who's had a child who's had a child with autism, 
caused by a vaccine, but of course he went ahead and tried to sue and uh, as a consequence failed the case and we're still waiting before that can be done again and if the if the evidence has been um, collected correctly and with with these vaccine courts they have a problem where you cannot use other cases as a precedent and say well you know mm. this child this child interesting um, the whole vaccine court thing is like such an obvious attempt to shield cronies from being sued for damages caused by vaccines like in any other case you can say well there's a precedent because this product caused har this particular harm before but when you go to these vaccine courts in the USA every 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 particular instance is taken as it's as though it's in a vacuum without you know uh, parents being able to refer to previous cases, so it's, it's a pretty that shocking. That is crazy because it does, isn't normally there's a precent in legal matters, right? That you look at yeah. the legal precedent from previously yeah, to why. help you make decisions. But you're saying right. in this case, when it comes no, to no, that's why they created a whole new course for it, so <sighs> okay, that you okay. could avoid. <laughs> you know, it's um, like what kind of system do you think you live in? It's like, and um, people are so. Wow. It's it's like, but the thing is, what we're dealing with is like your friends who said never email me about this again. Like that is, and it would be okay if people were just suffering the consequences of their own actions. But um, it's the kids. People are, it's the kids. It, the kids are suffering the consequences of their parents' choice to remain willfully right, ignorant right. in the face of, you know, with the. I don't know. I don't know how to make sense of the suffering that has been caused by all these things because on one hand I can say when it comes to these COVID shots, if you're an adult, you know, you're responsible. You probably had some crazy relative who said, look at this or look at that, and you chose to be willfully ignorant. But now they're putting these mRNA vaccines on the childhood vaccine schedule and uh, kids are being dosed up. And if they get injured, you know, what choice did they have? So, you know, I right, don't know. because I think in the U.S., the way the law mm -hmm. works is that if it's on the childhood vaccination schedule, then the pharmaceutical companies are exempt from any liability at all, which is what why the push yeah. was so yeah. hard and fast uh, to get it on that schedule. And if the yeah, and and it's it's shocking to me that people tolerate this. You know, that people tolerate the fact that you can cause harms with vaccines and not be sued for it. I mean, what's in it for them? What's in it for them to not be able to sue, or for their neighbours not being able to sue a pharmaceutical company? You know, it's like, it's shocking. And it's the, mm -hmm. it's the people's nascence, not their ignorance, nascence, they're ignoring the truth. They're, they're not interested in the truth because I, with the truth becomes a responsibility to do something about the truth. Um, and right. I guess, yeah, and it's a little bit upsetting, but, you know, just what's the, how does the serenity prayer go, you know? Right. Lord, Lord give me the, um, the courage to change the things I can change, the, wis um, the presence of mind to accept the things I can't change, and the, and the wisdom to know the difference and mm -hmm. 
unfortunately, we need to accept that a lot of people are suffering unnecessarily, sometimes, you know, ourselves included, because we can't unvaccinate ourselves and you don't really know what state of health you'd be in if you hadn't got whatever shots that you have had. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's, there's, you know, it seems to me that um, that there's, you know, the, uh, for me, I, I'm going to be honest, when I went through medical school and was looking at some of the journals um, and they talked about diet, nutrition or whatever, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> And then I'd be like, ooh, what's this drug? You know, uh, ooh, ooh, science. You know, I was really a big science nerd, and Mm. I thought, you know, evidence-based medicine was like the best, and, you know, um, not realizing that there's a whole, you know, propagandized, you know, um, energy behind that. Um, And so I wasn't all that interested in Mm. boring, boring, yeah, nutrition, yeah, how hard could it be to eat well, like Mm. seriously, right? Of course, right. I wasn't eating as well as I could be because mm-hmm. I didn't know anything, you know, and I didn't like my biochemistry teacher who was also the nutrition teacher. <laughs> right. So I didn't really pay attention. Um, right. So, so but, if we're talking, um, yeah, so Anthony, if we're talking about like discerning science we see online, this is going to be really difficult for the average person. It is. So, so and, do you have any hints on how we would do that? <laughs> right. Well, Okay. First of all, I I just have to say I have some sympathy from the doctors because really you should be able to trust authorities. We should have authorities that are trustworthy. Mm. Under the current system, there are no checks and balances because, um, as we saw with Biox scandal, the New England Journal of Medicine printed false claims that made Biox look safer than it was and they were informed that they'd done that and they refused to withdraw that article. Meanwhile, yep. they sold um, almost a million dollars of reprints of that article back to the manufacturer. When Dr. Graham at the FDA um, uh, tried to bring his findings and biops to the medical community, he was uh, first told to shut up and then offered uh, promotion. So, first of all, I think it's important to realize that you're on your own when it comes to checks and balances, when it comes to um, drugs, the journals, the universities, the regulator are all profiting from the sale of pharmaceutical drugs. So the first thing is, before you take a drug, make sure that you absolutely have to. Okay. Take the side effects seriously and maybe ask your doctor what are the likely side effects of this and see if you can even ask them what percentage of people tend to get these side effects see if they can give you a figure or not Um, see if you can find like all cause mortality is important Mm. find a a drug not not is going to save you from dying from the condition it's meant to treat but all causes because it's not really much use to you if you die at the same age but you die of nephritis because the drug poisons your liver. Um, ah, that's okay. a good tip. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so all, finding all, all cause yeah. mortality, especially for a drug that you're taking every right. single day. Right. And, uh, yeah, for long periods of time. Right, exactly. And, um, yeah, so, so the, the question is, will this extend my life? How long will it extend my life for? And in what way will might it compromise my quality of life? 
um, feeling mm-hmm. that, you, um, I mean, along with that, nothing's going to get better for you if you're eating lots of junk food, period. So, right. <laughs> you know, what you want is whole foods from as natural sources as you can get mm-hmm. get them from. Your, your, your tissues are made up of, are made, your body makes your tissues out of vitamins, minerals, amino acids, oxygen, water, um, and, and, and what have you. So you can't make healthy tissues out of drugs because there's no such thing as a Tylenol deficiency. If you're mm-hmm. depressed, you don't have a Pro- Prozac deficiency. Right. So I say like start by looking at your body as a biological organism that has needs and ask what does my body need to build healthy tissues. In addition to that, what do I need to spare my body from? Because everything that you put in that your body can't make use of needs to leave the body via one of your detoxification organs. And um, you can put too much strain on those organs and damage them if you're putting poisons into your body. So I would like to start with that. And I've got some more tips in my ebook, which you can find at sevenpharmamyths.com. Oh, that's that's great. And speaking of, you just mentioned the word poison. Um, I, I, I saw a news... Uh, it's one of those on um, one of those other channels where they just take a clip of it uh, about what the, the, they were saying, and it was uh, around. Well, there's a couple of them. But it was around how unvaccinated people have more car accidents. I think that was wow. something like that. And um, and then you know somebody else saying, well, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They're kind of admitting that there could be you know potential side effects, but the the, the the guy that that was being interviewed, he says, "Well, you know, you got to pick your poison, right?" And I just sort of was like, "Wow, that's mm-hmm. actually true." I mean, in this mm-hmm. in this context. And then mm-hmm. in um, Australia, I have friends in Australia, and uh, somebody um, screenshotted the Australian government's, you know, description of the COVID nineteen vaccination. You can look that up uh, to uh, to. I don't think they've changed it, and it literally actually says a poison. <laughs> And so I said to my Australian friends, I'm like, uh, wait a second, wait a second. This is back in 2021 or something. Anyway, it was like way back. And I said, it says the word poison. Like, does poison mean something different in like mm-hmm. Australian speak? Because sometimes your words are different from ours versus like America. And my naturopathic, you know, healthcare friends were like, nope, it means exactly yeah. what it means like in, in America. I'm like, and your government calls it that? And they're like, yep. But all drugs need to be poisons because if they're not poisons, they're not considered drugs. So it needs to be cytotoxic. Um, any drug needs to be, um, otherwise it's something else. Do you know what I mean? It's a nutrient or something if it's affecting you. Mm. So, so one of one of the qualities of a drug is that it is um, it is a poison. Well, I thought it was interesting that um, uh, I, I, for a while I was excited to hear, uh, don't quote me on this one, but I think it was, um, you know, when I got wind of, this is when I was still practicing medicine, regular medicine, I was, got wind of the, that one of the statin com- companies that made statins was uh, actually had a patent on coenzyme Q10 attached mm. to the drug. Mm. And I was very innocent and naive, and I thought, well, that's mm. great. They figured it out, you know? I mean, if you're going to give a stand, you might as well give coenzyme Q10 or ubiquitin all be better. But I was all excited, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And I'm like, well, when's this drug going to be released, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll 
prescribe that one if I have to prescribe something versus Pravastatin, right? If you give me, you know, uh, or, or versus some other statin. Well, it didn't come. And then I was on this webinar with Suzanne Summers, who's kind of a natural health advocate. Um, and she says, oh, yeah, they patent things like that so no one else can release it and they just keep it. They don't ever sell it. So that's yeah, when I started. Do that. They can bury things, yeah. Yeah, that's when I started going, wait a second. <laughs> if they know that the statin causes problems and then by giving coenzyme Q10, it at least partially reverses that issue, why wouldn't you want to sell that drug and be the top sure. of the market? Because no one else has got that patented, right? So there's well, like yeah, actually I mean, an intention to not help people. Right, and there's things like you know DMSO that's got like lo lots of lots of applications, and there's obviously um, a repressed remedy because of that. People used to I don't quote, don't do, this is not medical advice, but you know um, turpentine used to be used, um, castor oil still sometimes people use it to purge. But I mean, there's lots of remedi remedies that were. Um, widely used and widely known to be useful, but they're they're a little bit too useful. You know, some in Chinese mm -hmm. medicine they would always look at. Uh, we're looking we're looking at one remedy for one condition, whereas they'd be looking for like a plant like ginseng, which has multiple benefits uh, for multiple conditions because they want to help you with lots of things at once. So it's kind of like a whole back to run mentality we live in, people think that um, we have a filtration system where the best remedies are going to rise to the top. The truth is, as far as the industry is concerned, the best remedy is the newest one that's on patent. It doesn't, right. matter. it doesn't matter if an older remedy has a better safety profile because you know they, they can't get a market monopoly on an older remedy. Um, so it doesn't matter if it has fewer side effects or um, is more effective. What they really want is the new is the new one. And sometimes they don't even develop new drugs. What they'll do is they'll change the coating on a pill and get a new patent for that or something like that. And oh, that, that I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's called evergreening. They've got lots and lots of different ways of uh, repatenting drugs that aren't new. Um, but the, but once they run out of the patent, then they can't make money on it because other people can generically yeah, make it, right? they can generically make it. So the, the thing to do is to combine it with, you know, add an extra hydrogen atom or something like that, just slightly change it and see if they can patent it again and then start telling people, no, no, this was the new one. It's so much better than the old one. Even uh, OxyContin, which, um, you know, created this opiate epidemic, it was like 10 times more addictive than a previous chemical that they were using, but that, um, that painkiller was out of patent. So OxyContin um, became the new thing that they were trying to promote, not because it was uh, provided better pain relief or anything like that, just because they got a new patent on it. Yes. And, and that caused untold amount of suffering. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Well, there's a couple questions about, you know, myths and things I want to ask you. Number one is uh, I heard that um, in order, at least in America, for the drug companies to get a stamp of approval by the FDA, they have to submit two positive studies, mm -hmm. meaning that their mm -hmm. drug works. Uh, even if there are like 80 studies that say they don't work, they right. don't have to submit it like you mentioned. Is it actually just two? 
I, I believe that's still the case. I don't know really the ins and outs of the regulatory process. What I do know is that it, it used to take something like four years to, to pass, uh, to get a drug passed. Now it's something like 14 years. So that whole process, see if, see if the drugs that we had were much safer because now they take an extra 10 years to go through the regulatory process, then we'd want that maybe because it's a cost-benefit analysis, but actually uh, they're not any safer and just as uh, more drugs are withdrawn now than before then, what mm. this does is it creates a huge, a humongous expense for drug companies, which is good and bad for them, one, it, because um, it certainly alienates any competition. I mean, if you wanted to do a study proving that uh, stem cells might be helpful for um, you know, stopping people from needing a hip or shoulder replacement or, or from getting arthritis, you would need to do one study for each condition and take each condition through the whole regulatory process, which is going to run into hundreds of millions. So it means that their existing treatments are safe from competition. Ah, the kind of grandfathered in and then... Yeah. So, if it, so, yeah. so that's why a lot of... Uh, uh, Companies that have natural remedies and things like mm -hmm. that, they don't go through the FDA uh, process because uh, and compete, you know, with the pharmaceuticals. Yeah. So they don't have those kind of deep pockets or that kind of time. They don't have that those kinds of deep pockets. And once their remedies are approved, they're not under patent or anything like that. They don't have protections if they're made of natural ingredients. So anyone can manufacture them. Um, until we get a system that's in, that profits from people improving their health instead of profits from getting them sicker, no one will have the pockets to um, to fund mm. research into these remedies and take them through the regulatory process. Now, it, what it also does is because it takes so long and it costs so much money, it creates an incredible incentive for fraud to be committed with the data because you don't want to waste 800 million or whatever taking a drug through this regulatory system just to have it rejected and it also um, discourages innovation because why try a new chemical when the safest thing to do is just like slightly alter an existing chemical because um, you know what it's going to do and then um, you know you might not need to run all the same host of safety studies either if you say well this is basically like our other chemical which has been approved so oh yeah 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 that's right that's kind of so like many, what they were doing with yeah. the with the the uh, I think they call it community or whatever which is the COVID-19 fighter uh, the new mm -hmm. name so right. Dr. Uh, Dr. Brzezinski here is from uh, Texas and he has been helping people with uh, very uh, intense brain cancers and other kind of things, and his anti-neoplastin therapies have been really, really useful and helpful and saved a lot of people's lives. These children, for example, were supposed to die, and they're like adults now. And he's been trying since the 70s to go through the mm -hmm. FDA process for his anti-neoplastin, yeah. and to this day, they are still not approved, yeah. despite all the studies. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people end up having to go to Tijuana, Mexico, or something like that, to get treatments that are verified but just can't get through the the approval process and are essentially illegal in the USA. Mm. And then, um, you know, uh, do you have an idea how many, like how long a, a drug study has to go on before it's considered like... I don't know the ins and outs of that. I, mm. I um, you know, but 
the thing is, just because something is approved doesn't mean safe. And just because it's not been approved doesn't mean it's unsafe. Just because it's approved doesn't mean it's effective. And just because it's not been approved doesn't mean that gotcha. it's ineffective. Gotcha. So, well, it seemed um, to me like there there were some of these medications that, you know, um, the studies were like two months, three months, uh, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And then, but we're using it for decades. Yeah. You know, on a person. I, I don't right. have long-term right. studies and, on, and sometimes. You know, Stomach and the, the proton and yeah. pump inhibitors, and, and sometimes do doctors will prescribe them off-label, which um, for demographics that they were in um, studied for. You know, they'll give them to kids or they'll give them to old people. The the sample, the study sample was conducted on young, healthy people. Right? They selected right. young, healthy people right. because that way they'd have the minimum amount of side effects. But then when you start giving those drugs to other demographics, it doesn't work so well. One of the reasons why hormone replacement therapy, which turned out to be butchery for women actually, kill, killed so many women unnecessarily, was because they just had a population study that happened to be conducted on young, healthy women from affluent backgrounds who are well educated and wow it looks like it's it's really good and it's not got that many side effects no but they were actually just living longer because of their lifestyles when they actually applied the the study to real people and started giving them hormone replacement therapy it caused a whole host of deaths and health problems but you know no one was no one went to jail no one ever goes to jail they basically factor in being sued. Drug companies factor in being sued as an expense. I've got so many instances of drug companies being sued for their drugs causing harm, but the amount that they got they got fined or had to pay out in compensation after being taken to court was far lower than the profit they made from the drugs. So it's not really that much of a punishment. It's really just you know paying off the feds. You know. Mm, right, right. Well, let let us sell this for as long as possible, and then and then you'll get your cut. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm being cynical. That's right. Uh, you may not know the answer to this one either, Anthony, and we, we do need to close pretty soon. Mm. This has been a very interesting conversation. Um, but I was just wondering, some folks are kind of concerned or worried about having some sort of you know, patented substance in their bodies being injected mm -hmm. in that changed their DNA, does that now mean that they as a person are patented by a drug company? Uh, it seems almost ridiculous to even consider that, but is that actually a concern or is that just like a wise I've not heard anything about that. I find it hard to believe that would go, that would be upheld in court, but then I find so much of what's happened in the last three years hard to believe. Mm. Um, you know, people are saying, can you detox from this? Can you recover from this? Um, the truth is, I don't know. I mean, I, I believe that the body is pretty resilient um, and detox protocols have certainly helped me with a lot of things. But um, everyone really needs to do the best they can with what they've got because even if you're living a um, pretty clean life, we're still getting toxins in through the environment and, you know, your thing could be whatever you eat could have been sprayed with glyphosate and things. So we're trying our best. Um, and yeah, I don't know if you've taken this injection, if a company now holds a patent on you. It sounds like a sci-fi movie, but then so much of what happens now does sound like a sci-fi movie. Um, 
I would stay away from medical interventions unless you absolutely have to. Um, you know, my teacher said you cannot poison yourself to death. The the human body is not meant to have anything in it that it's not made of. When you put in a compound that's made of hydrogen, carbon, um, nitrogen, oxygen, it, it recognizes these things. It knows how to metabolize them. When you start mm -hmm. having chemicals that have got long names that um, are complete, that um, of chemicals that are not found in nature that we did not evolve side by side with, you know, your detoxification organs, the livers, the, the kidney, the skin, um, the digestive tract, it has a little bit harder time recognizing these things and finding something to do with them. So they, they can bioaccumulate in the tissues and they can be harder to remove. So I'd say if it, if it grows, eat it. If it doesn't grow, don't eat it or rub it in your skin or into your hair. This is going to be absorbed through those membranes into your body. So um, all natural ingredients that you possibly can. Mm, yeah, that sounds great. Great advice. Um, so thank you, Anthony, so much for being on the show. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And everyone can get the free ebook, sevenpharmamyths.com. Seven is uh, the number written out, uh, not written out, sorry, the number seven, pharmamyths.com. And then, Anthony, do you have a, a time frame about when the bigger book, uh, Big Pharma, is coming out? I'm trying to not think about it in those terms anymore because it just keeps on growing in scope. So I'm writing regular articles and it will be ready when it's ready. In the meantime, gotcha. get the e-book e and I will put out um, another book, you know, maybe 100 pages, 120 pages as an intermediate step before the big book comes out because I, I, I think that big book is kind of going to become a like reference book. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. going to become the book that everyone ends up going to for uh, really, I'm going to give a panoramic understanding of what's going on in healthcare that tackles it from many different angles. So it's worth putting the time into. In the meantime, mm -hmm. I'm sure people will enjoy following the articles I put out as they surface in more. Oh, that's great. Months. That's also, great. And then... Oh, I was going to say, can yeah. can uh, if people want to donate to your work uh, on your page, oh, uh, is that is that like is that secure? Like you know what? Yeah, yeah. How do they it know uses, that's secure? It uses the normal uh, mechanisms that that most websites use. You know, it's it's a, basically a Stripe payment system. Mm. So that's what's used for most e-commerce. So uh, you know, it's more it's it's cheaper than PayPal and and a lot of other. Um, services. So there is the option when you go on to sevenpharmamyths.com to download the ebook for free or leave a contribution if you like what I'm doing because unlike pharma reps, I'm not getting paid six figures um, to write this book. <laughs> I'm not getting paid anything to write this book. Unlike um, psychiatrists, I'm not getting paid six figures to poison people with drugs that have been shown to be ineffective and cause harm in the long term. So if you want to if you want to help, your um, your contributions are certainly welcome, and they go quite a long way in Mexico. Also, someone might think I like the way that that guy um, sees the world. Maybe he's a good counselor for me, and you can um, contact me through social media if you think I'd be a good therapist for you, or go to beyourselfandloveit.com and oh, uh, schedule a preliminary session through that website. If that's something that you thought might interest you, 
Thank you so much for having me on your show, Dr. Karen. Uh, you've been such a great, gracious host and really thought-provoking questions. And it was nice to hear a little bit of your own experience and um, how you see the world. And I, I admire your courage your, and your discernment and your dedication to the truth. Uh, thank you, Anthony. It's been a pleasure being with you today. And I want to thank all of our light medicine community and light warriors for tuning in until next time lots of love and bye for now judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.